0: Well, thank you so much Worship team for leading us in musical worship setting the tone for our hearts to open ourselves up to God's word I want to start this morning um, with a joke uh, have you guys heard of the story of the bandit named Jose Riveras? He was a bandit who wa- he uh, He went on a stealing rampage in texas and was stealing everything in sight and uh and he was just decimating the all these businesses he was stealing everything and they were so desperate to finally get this guy that they hired a ranger to go and hunt him down in mexico at his lair or wherever his his hideout and so uh The ranger followed him all the way into Mexico, and which brought him to an old dusty saloon, and he walked in. There's a guy sleeping to the side, a cowboy hat over his head, and there was a uh, young uh, bartender there, and he went up to the bartender and said, "Uh, I am a ranger from the U.S., and I'm looking for Jose Rivera's. He's in a lot of trouble. Do you know where I could find this man? And the bartender smiled, and he said, yes, sir. Sit, he's sleeping right over there. And the ranger looked over says, this man right over here? He says, yes. Okay, walked over to him, woke him up, he says, Jose Rivera's, you are under arrest, and you are in a world of trouble. And before he could finish, Jose Rivera's was like, me no speak English. And so the ranger looked over at the bartender and called him over. Bartender came over. And he said, can you translate for me? And bartender said, sure. You tell Jose Rivera that he's got two choices. Either he brings, he gives all the money back, and then I'll let him go free. And if he doesn't comply, I will shoot him dead right here. And so he translated this, and Jose Rivera was like, whoa, I I don't want to die. You tell this man. You tell us, man that if he goes right outside the saloon, there's going to be a, uh, a sign. This sign, if you travel uh, 500 feet to the right, there's a well. Right next to the well, there is a little tree. Next to the tree, there's a big cement slab. If you move the slab, if you lift it up... It'll be really heavy. Underneath will be a container. And in the container is all the jewelry that I stole and almost all the money because I, I, did, I did use a little bit. You tell him this. I, I don't want to die. And so the translator, hearing all this, looked at the ranger, ranger wanting to know. And the man said, he says you can just shoot him right now. Sometimes getting to the truth can be very difficult, especially if uh, your uh, source is corrupted. Now, it's going to be a very bad day for uh, Jose Rivera if he takes the bartender's word as truth. The truth should be the number one pursuit of every single person on earth. Whether you're Christian or whatever you believe, truth should be the number one pursuit of everyone. Pastor Quentin did a great job defining truth uh, last time we preached on it. He said that truth is that which corresponds or connects to reality and, and consists with the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is no doubt about it that truth is important. Andrea Sak- uh, Sakharov, he was a Russian nuclear physicist, and he became famous for developing the uh, Soviet Union's thermonuclear program. Very, very intelligent person. This is what he said. He said, I've always thought that the most powerful weapon in the world was the bomb, and that is why I gave it to my people. But I've come to the conclusion that the most powerful weapon in the world is not the bomb. It is the truth. Winston Churchill, he was the British Prime Minister for the United Kingdom during World War II. He said this about truth, he says, the truth is incontrovertible, which means that it's uh, unable to be denied or disputed. It's, the truth is incontrovertible, malice may attack it, ignorance may deride it, but in the end, there it is, Winston Churchill. The definition, like I said, incontrovertible, it cannot be denied, it cannot be disputed. You can't just uh, change the definition of what truth means. Jesus himself made this exclusive statement, which is one of the most powerful statements. And everyone, should, as, a, as a believer in Jesus, you should have this verse memorized in John 14, verse 6. Because it separates Jesus from any other belief system. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, verse 6. This is an exclusive Statement. And so, according to scripture, we know that Jesus uh, is truth, and to know truth, then we would have to know Jesus. But, like Pilate so wisely asked, what is truth? And how can we know what it is? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that, that you sent your one and only Son, the very embodiment of truth. And we are left with the privilege to testify to that truth. In a world where there's so much um, disillusion, God, we pray for clarity of mind. We pray for uh, your heart as we dissect what it means to know truth and how we can live truth we just pray that you would be glorified in your name we pray amen as a teenager I struggled with a lot of questions in my life and the the my community my my church at the time they were not ready for the questions that I was asking and, and so it was a very difficult time for me because a lot of these questions were speaking to, to my core. And, and I, I needed to know these answers in order for me to move forward because if Christianity was true, why would this happen? And I always got the feeling that it was like, don't worry about those questions. You shouldn't ask questions. Just trust in Jesus anyway. But as a teenager, it didn't sit well with me. And, and luckily for me, I... I I kept asking those questions, and, and because I kept asking them, I got answers that brought me peace uh, with my commitment to follow Jesus. But this is uh, a, a very popular thing that we're struggling with these days because a lot of times we struggle when people have questions, but questions are vital in knowing what truth is. You know, me going to school, I was very confused because, on one hand, I went to my uh, school and they were teaching me. All these things through secular humanism. They were teaching me the belief a belief rooted in the absence of God. And then when I went to Sunday school, they were teaching me that God came incarnate, was born through a virgin, did incredible miracles, died, and was r- risen again. That's a lot to swallow for a kid. And so that's hard to reconcile those things. But there are incredible answers to those questions. and We need to wrestle with those things. This sparked in me an interest for in an, an apologetics in order to understand uh, my faith from all angles. And I was given the gospel my whole life, but I wanted to make my faith my own. I wanted to own my faith, I, and I wanted the truth. But how do we know truth? In today's society, it's becoming more and more challenging to know how to get to truth because everything has become so fluid So fluid. The definition of truth is under attack. We no longer are able to just easily define life, sexuality, marriage, uh, even money. Truth is hinged upon facts, not on feelings. The truth never hides. It never hides. We just like to look the other way. Truth intimidates us. Why does it intimidate us? We're faced with truth. We become immediately intimidated. We're much likely to go to the person who doesn't always give us the truth. Like, hey, how does this, uh, how does this look? You know, how does, this tie make, how does this tie make me look? Oh, you look fantastic, Peter. Oh, thanks. Go up to somebody else. Hey, how does this tie make me look? Oh, it makes your nose look long. What? <laughs> I'm not asking you next time. I want this guy. You know, so... we're intimidated by truth because it reveals us for who we are. No matter how much we would like our bathroom mirror to hide our wrinkles, cover our zits, shrink our nose, and uh, make our waistline smaller and color our hair or grow our hair in my uh, situation, the mirror will not do that because the the mirror uh, reveals truth. It shows us for who we are. And I think in that way, Mirrors are a lot like the Word of God. They're not designed to make you feel warm and fuzzy. It's, it's there to show us the truth. It's there to show us the way things are. Not the way we would necessarily like them to be, but the way they are. Scriptures show us that we are, it, it shows us this, our depravity. That our righteousness is as filthy rags according to Isaiah 64.6. And then at the same time, it gives us the hope because it reveals that there's a free gift of salvation that exists out there through the person of Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross. As Christians, we need to give an account for the truth and we need to do that by living in it. 1 Peter chapter 3.15 says that we are, we are to give an account or the Greek word apologia. We are to give an account for the hope that is within us, and then to do it with gentleness and respect. If there's no truth rooted in hope, then there's no hope. And it's so interesting, a lot of people, a lot of universities, a lot of professors are, are trying to argue whether or not truth exists. But those are all self-defeating arguments. If someone says, there's no such thing as absolute truth then you just need to say, "Are you absolutely sure?" <laughs> um, you know, you need to doubt everything. Doubting is key. Doubt, doubt is the everything hinges on doubt. You ever, uh, you ever doubt that? You know, those are all self defeating arguments because truth does exist, and ho- and truth is rooted in, and hope is rooted in truth. There's a classical method for discovering truth, and I want to outline this a little bit. I did an apologetic series, uh, I think it was last year, and I went through this a little bit. But I believe it is important for us to constantly re- refresh this because if this is, if this is absolute truth, and if, then, then, this, then God is not intimidated by our questions. So we need to explore God from all angles. Now, the way to find truth is a classical method, and it is very basic, does it contradict itself? Is there evidence for it? And does it actually work in real life? Logical consistency, empirical adequacy, and experiential relevance are the uh, terms. But, but at the heart of it, does it contradict itself? Is there evidence for it? And does it work in real life? The, Christian, the Judeo-Christian worldview is the only one that passes this test with flying colors. It's the only one that gives coherent answers to four of the most basic questions. Every single human, Christian, Atheists, Buddhists, Confucianists, Hindu, Muslim, Sikh, every single person asks these four pivotal questions. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Where did I come from? What's the purpose of life? Uh, Morality, what, what is right and wrong? And, and how, who decides that? And where do I go when all this is done? Do I go to heaven? Is my body worm food? What happens? These are the pivotal questions that speak to our worldview. The Judeo-Christian worldview through the person of Jesus Christ, I would argue, is the only one that passes this with flying colors. In the Muslim faith... It is based on the teachings of Muhammad. The Buddhist faith is based on the teachings of Buddha. The Confucianism is based on the teaching of Confucius. Marxism is based on the teachings of Karl Marx. These are all beliefs that exist as teachings and theories of men. Christianity isn't just founded on the teachings that Jesus brought, but by who Jesus is and what he accomplished. This is what separates everyone. So when people say, why is Christianity the only true uh, uh, faith system? Why is it the only true religion? Because Christianity is the only one who is defined by who Jesus is and what he accomplished. Here's a man who claimed to be God, he claimed to be God. And then he backed it up through miracles and then the greatest of all the resurrection the pinnacle the crown jewel of all his miracles the resurrection it's the key to everything. Apostle Paul said it best when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15:17 this is what he said. This is almost intimidating because he's putting a lot of stock in this one event. So if somebody if we find out tomorrow that it was a hoax that Jesus actually didn't rise from the dead we're in trouble. We are in trouble. Our faith deteriorates from the inside out. Apostle Paul said, and if Jesus has not been raised, your faith is worthless. It's not worth five bucks. It's worthless. If, if Jesus Christ hadn't been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. What a powerful statement. This is what makes Jesus Christ unique. What he taught was rooted in who he was. It was consistent through and through. Through who he was and what he did. If Jesus was a fake, it would have been so much easier for Jesus to say, oh, hey, disciples, by the way, when I die, I will rise again. What? No, uh, well, spiritually. You, you won't see me, but I will spiritually rise again. And that would have been able to save Christianity, but he didn't say that. He, uh, he, he said his, his body would rise again. Matthew 16, 21. That is an empirically verifiable claim. If Jesus say, by Jesus saying, my body will rise again. That is an empirically verifi- verifiable claim. You can disprove it. All the Pharisees, all the Sadducees, all of the resources of the Roman guard, all they would have needed to simply do to snuff it out before it even had time to catch flame was to provide a single body. One body. Interesting. It was the very body the Roman guards themselves were guarding with a Roman seal. And they couldn't even do that. You wonder why Christianity is so big today? Because 2,000 years a man lived, claimed to be God, and he backed it up with what he said. And it was a part of who he was. The ones closest to him would have been able to see inconsistencies. His brothers didn't show up and say, wait a second, hold the boat here. let me tell you about my brother. It doesn't say anything like that. They didn't necessarily follow him. Not yet anyway, until something crazy happened. Jesus was who he said he was. I want to talk a little bit about a man named Thomas. He was a disciple. He wasn't as easily convinced that Jesus had risen. And I want to focus on him because I, I used to not like Thomas because, like, come on, Thomas. You're always rocking the boat. You're you doubting everything. You, do, you don't believe in it. Come on. So easy. Just believe it. No, I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to physically analyze it and whatever. I, I don't know. Doubting Thomas is like a word you don't want to be associated with. Pastor Peter, you're such a doubting Thomas. Come on. Not that bad, am I? But I've grown to really appreciate the fact that Thomas was asking questions. So we're gonna read in John chapter 20, verse 24. To get a feeling for Thomas here, it says this: John chapter 20, 24, should be up here. Perfect. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into the side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands reach out. And see my hands Reach out your hand and put it into my side. <clears throat> Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord, my God. My Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they have believed. I want to point out something very interesting here. Jesus was not offended with Thomas' questions. Okay, He welcomed him and his apprehensiveness towards this resurrection thing. It's a lot to swallow. Let's, let's be honest here. Thomas knew the facts. He was a factual person, and, and it didn't make sense to him. But Jesus knew the heart of Thomas was to simply understand what the truth was. We know that this is, uh, this is true because after the ascension, after Jesus... Uh, Stuck around, and he ascended into heaven. Thomas took off. He blasted out into India, and tradition says that India was a very interesting place to go, for especially a person who doubted. India is a place where, where the, where the religion is. The religion consists of over three hundred and thirty million deities, and this is where Thomas goes. And that is where he was executed by the spear. A question every doubter needs to ask themselves is that if Christianity is a fraud, why would almost all of the disciples, people who knew Jesus personally, and the reality of his death being so real, claim that he was resurrected and die by it? No one dies... For a known lie, some people die because they believed in a lie, but no one dies for a known lie, especially in the fashion that these young men did. Did you know that uh, through the tradition, through the writers of uh, many uh, uh, early church fathers, we have some details here on the deaths of the the followers of Jesus? Peter died in Rome by crucifixion. James. And mind you, these guys were not around when Jesus was being crucified. Why? Because they were terrified. Okay? Why would these people come out and die for a unknown lie? James, the son of Alphaeus, like, was executed by Herod Agrippa. Tradition says that he was stoned and then he was clubbed to death. James, the son of Zebedee, he was killed with the sword. And we know this from Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and 9. Andrew, it was reported that he was crucified in Petrae. Bartholomew, little information is known about his death, but some say that he was... Uh, executed by crucifixion in Ar- Armenia. Matthew, legend has it that he was martyred in Ethiopia. Simon the Zealot, he was a zealot, which means that he was uh, he would have had the same take, the same belief system, that of Judas Iscariot. Judas betrayed Jesus and died. Simon decided to uh, take hold of this truth. And tradition says that he was killed in Persia. Some say because... He refused to sacrifice to the sun god. Philip was executed in Asia Minor. Matthias, he was the one who replaced Judas. And he was burnt to death in Syria. And last, Jude, he was martyred in Persia. Some say that he was crucified. How in the world does this happen? Unless it was true. I want to talk about James, the brother of Jesus here. He wasn't one of the original disciples, and and there's no indication that he actually followed Jesus while Jesus was around. Uh, As a matter of fact, he was a little apprehensive to him. In John 7, 5, it says that for not even his brothers believed in him. When all the other disciples jumped town in response to the Great Commission after Jesus' ascension, James decided to stick around in, in Jerusalem and hold the fort. And he never stopped preaching and proclaiming the gospel of his brother. How cool would it be? Hey, my brother, you know. Actually, I'll probably have a lot of responsibility. Probably people would look at you. I wonder if you have the same. No, 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 no. That was completely different. My dad's Joseph, you know. But he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, and he eventually himself was stoned to death for being a follower of Jesus. What truth is so powerful that caused these men who personally knew Jesus to spread out into all regions and testify to this truth and eventually give their life for it? This is the question all of us need to wrestle with. God is not intimidated with our questions. Our God is not afraid to roll up his sleeves and spar with us a little bit in our pursuit of truth. That may sound a little heretical. Maybe it's because I'm still kind of mulling over the fight that happened yesterday with uh, Conor McGregor and, and uh, Floyd Mayweather. But this is what I'm thinking. When we're looking for truth, it is often a struggle. And you're often looking at all angles in order to get to this truth. And, and we can see this very clearly in Genesis 32, uh, verses 22 to 32. You have Jacob wrestling with God. And not only did God not obliterate him, uh, but he blessed him. And he gave him the name Israel. After getting, yeah, he had his hip dislocated. But after he got blessed and he got his name changed to Israel. God is not intimidated by our questions and he loves the interaction with him. And in the other faith system, you're taught that you're not supposed to ask questions. You're just supposed to trust anyway. Trust the preacher's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Look for it. Look, seek the truth yourself. Peel through the Bible. Is this consistent with reality? Parents, I want to speak to you a little bit. Because I know for myself, this is something that I have to wrestle with sometimes too. When you're when your kids ask you questions, it is not because they're about to leave the faith. It's not, they're not on their way out the door. They're asking questions because they're learning to make their faith their own. And as we explore those questions with them, they will solidify their faith and they will claim it as their own. The most painful conversations I've ever had with teenagers are the ones where they were given the truth And then they willingly decided to walk away from it. Much like Pilate, when he asked Jesus, what is truth? And then he walked away from the greatest authority, from the greatest question, and committed the greatest crime of all time. Would you like to know what the truth of God is? I think at the center of it all, when you look at God in truth, the center of it, the beating heart of God's truth is love. Love is at the center of God's truth. 1 John 4 8 says it very clearly. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is a fan of love. No. It says because God is love. It is his identity. God is love. So truth pours out of love. It is the foundation for the truth of grace that keeps our salvation together. It was love that poured out of Jesus on that cross. And it is the tone that he calls us to repent of our sins. Truth gives us assurance. No matter how messed up this world gets, his truth will remain. Society can change Every single definition it wants. It can change the definition of definition. But that still doesn't change what truth is. And the truth that we have in Jesus Christ. In spite of all the darkness, desperation, pain, and loneliness that we have here on earth, God's truth has the power to redeem. To take those elements of darkness, pain, and disparity and use them for his glory. And that's the part that I really love to talk about when I talk about God's truth and His love is His redeeming elements. He could have just recycled us. He could have just thrown us to the curb. But because of God's love, He decided to redeem us. I want to close with some powerful words from a man who died in 1990. He was born in 1896. His name is James Stewart. He was a minister of the church in Scotland. And I would... I, I would love to say this with a Scottish accent, but I know I'm just going to distract from it, and it's probably not going to do it justice anyway. But listen to to his thoughts on this. He says this. It is a glorious phrase of the New Testament that he held captivity captive. The very triumphs of his foes, it means, he used for their defeat. He compelled their dark achievements to subserve His end, not theirs. They nailed him to a tree, not knowing that by that very act, they were bringing the world to his feet. They gave him a cross, not guessing that that he would make it a throne. They flung him outside the gates to die, not knowing that in that very moment, they were lifting up the gates of the universe to let the king of glory come in. They thought to root out the doctrines, not understanding, they were implanting imperishably in the hearts of the man the very name they intended to destroy. They thought they had defeated God and his back, the wall, pinned and helpless and defeated. They did not know that it was God himself who had tracked them down. He did not conquer in spite of the dark mystery of evil. He conquered through it. Because that, my friends, is the nature of truth. Did you come here this morning seeking for truth? Where was your heart when you came? Did you come here seeking for truth? Some of us may be hiding from truth. Some of us don't want to open up certain boxes in the back of our heart because we're afraid of what will come out. But if this is true, and love is the supreme ethic of God's truth, then God isn't about exploiting you. He's about healing you and restoring you and redeeming you through the dark chapters of your life. Are you willing and are you allowing to help God impact you this morning some of you have a broken heart that truth needs to to heal and God is the only one who possesses that truth that can restore whatever needs restoring that's what he's in the business of doing some of you may need God's truth to shape who you are whether it be your attitude at work or anywhere else at the end of the day God's truth will always be there And he's beckoning us to follow him if we so choose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for for coming to earth in the form of a human being and in in the most perfect embodiment of truth. Thank you so much that your truth is rooted in love. Love that found us fit, that even though we were sinners you still found it worth coming to earth and dying in our place. You didn't leave us in our sins. You came and you, you healed us. So God, if there's a person here this morning who has been battling with, with this truth, this Christianity, the only way, God, we pray that you would just draw them in, not just because the arguments fit together, but because your love and your truth is so overwhelming that it dissolves in any other avenue, God. We know that you have the power to do that. And so, God, we pray that through your Holy Spirit that you would come and you're going to do an amazing work. The summer is almost done. The new school year is coming. God, I pray that you would work in and through our students and that you would just pour your truth into them, that through their lifestyle of truth that other kids are going to come to know you more. I pray that the, the men here who are going through their workplaces, that you would just infect them so much with your truth and so much of your love and grace that people will be drawn to you, God. Thank you so much for giving us that example through the person of Jesus. We pray that we would live that out with courage. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you. You guys have a fantastic Sunday.